You're listening to the podcast of East River Park Christian Church. If you'd like to find out more information about the church or donate to this ministry, please visit us at eastriverpark.church. We pray that this is an encouragement to you as you grow in Christ through the local church. In the fast pace of our contemporary society, amidst the towers of prosperity that most of human history cannot imagine, and the ceaseless hum of technological advancement, there exists a big problem. Picture with me, if you will, the landscape of our world today, an era marked by unprecedented wealth compared to the rest of history, especially here in America, where many conveniences are at our fingertips and connectivity spans the globe in an instant. And yet, despite this facade of abundance, rates of loneliness, anxiety, and dissatisfaction are soaring. In the rush of our modern world, it's easy to get lost among the distractions and temptations and forget the true treasure that awaits us in God's love. Loneliness, once thought of mostly a condition of the elderly, now plagues individuals of all ages, from every walk of life. A study conducted by Cigna in 2020 revealed that over 60% of Americans reported feeling lonely, and that was before the pandemic made the situation worse. Similarly, anxiety, anxiety rates are on the rise. Approximately one in every five adults in America suffer from anxiety. And as for dissatisfaction, It seems to pervade every aspect of our lives, from our relationships to our careers, leaving many feeling unfulfilled and restless. With this unparalleled material abundance, why do so many of us still feel an inner emptiness, a yearning for something deeper, more meaningful and more fulfilling? Why is enough never enough? It's a question that cuts to the heart of our humanity challenging us to reevaluate our priorities and reconsider the true source of lasting satisfaction. Today, we will look at a passage in 1 John that does exactly that. And if I'm being honest, this week as I was going through the text, it challenged me and I had to ask for a lot of forgiveness for the things that I let the world draw me into with my heart and my mind. For those of you that don't know me, my name is Justin Stoffer. I'm one of the elders here at East River Park, and I'm so glad to be here with you all today to study the Word of God together. We've been moving through the book of 1 John the last few weeks. Last week, Jason taught us the encouraging verses of chapter 2, 12 through 14. And today, we will receive a strong warning as we look at verses 15 through 17. As we read our scripture today, the main scripture and notes can be found in the bulletin. If you're using a digital Bible, I'll be reading from the ESV translation. Let's read the word of God from 1 John chapter 2, verses 15 through 17. Do not let, or sorry, do not love the world or the things in the world. 
If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away with all of its desires. But whoever does the will of God abides forever. Will you pray with me? Dear God, we thank you. We thank you that we can gather in your name as a body of believers to worship you, to praise you, to study your word. We pray that you open up our hearts and minds to receive your word. We pray that your word is spoken here today. Help us to seek you and love you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So let's answer the question, why shouldn't we love the world from our text in 1 John? Our passage begins with a clear directive. Do not love the world or the things in the world. It's important to take just a moment to clarify what is not meant by this command. To not love the world isn't a call to retreat from the world or adopt a secluded existence. Instead, it's a summons to navigate the world with discernment and wisdom guided by God's word. Jesus himself in John chapter 17 prayed that his disciples would be in the world, but not of it. Refraining from loving the world also doesn't entail neglecting our fellow human beings. On the contrary, we are commanded to love one another fervently, mirroring the boundless love of our Heavenly Father. John 13, 34, Jesus says, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. And 1 John 4, 11 puts it this way, Beloved, if God's so loved us, we also ought to love one another. Our interaction with this world should be characterized by compassion and empathy, reflecting the love of God and shining his light to others. Nor does this commandment negate our legitimate material needs. Scripture assures us of God's provision for our physical necessities. Matthew 6, 31 through 33, Therefore do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Thus, abstaining from loving the world doesn't imply forsaking the material realm. Then what does it mean to not love the world? It means resisting the allure of the worldly systems and ideologies that all stand opposed to God's kingdom. It involves discerning the often subtle enticements opposed that exist in this world, and we need to safeguard our hearts against their influence. Loving the world in this context signifies embracing values and pursuits that leads us astray from God and his purposes. Not loving the world isn't merely about physical proximity, but rather about the inclination of our hearts. It's about where we invest our deepest affections and prioritize our ultimate allegiance. Now let's dive into our first point in your notes. Why shouldn't we love the world? because it proves that the love of the Father is not in us. First verse 2.15, Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. John's choice of words is deliberate. 
in this first verse. He begins with a command, urging us as children of God to make a decisive choice. It's as if he's saying, pause, reflect, and intentionally set your affections. The world will beckon you with its promises, but we must be intentional to resist through the Holy Spirit who indwells us as believers. In the Gospel of John, Jesus connects love with obedience. John 14, 15, Jesus says, If you love me, you will keep my commandments. To understand this a little bit better, it helps me to think of my marriage. I am faithfully committed to my wife because I love her and she loves me. As Christians, we can't earn God's love. But instead, our obedience flows out of our love for God. It's not simply enough to claim that we love God. Our actions must reflect it. Obedience is the litmus test of our love. When we obey God's commands, we demonstrate our devotion. But conversely, a life of disobedience often reveals a divided heart, one that still clings to worldly desires. Love for God isn't a a passive sentiment, but an active commitment demonstrated through obedience to his word and his will. So why does John underscore this commandment to a community of believers that are already grounded in their faith as we saw from last week's text? Because love lies at the core of our relationship with God, emanating both from his boundless love for us and our reciprocal love for others and him. Romans 5.8 tells of his love for us, but God showed his love for us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. 1 John 4.19 tells of our love for him and others. We love because he first loved us. This love isn't merely an emotion. It's a deliberate choice and commitment. It stems from God who two chapters later later in 1 John chapter 4, we are told, is love. He not only shows love, but he is love. It's one of his never-changing qualities. When we harbor affection for the world, we try to split our devotions between God and the world. And it's like attempting to bring two opposing magnets together that continually repel each other. Jesus said it this way in Matthew 6, 24. No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. James spells it out even more clearly with the whole relationship to the world and the things of the world. James 4.4, you adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy to God. We cannot serve both God and the world. We must strive as believers to be undivided rooted solely in our love for God through his help. Scripture is clear. Genuine love for the Father compels us to align our hearts with his desires, prioritizing his will above earthly enticements. If we love the world, then his love cannot be in us. But if we love him, then the opposite is true. God's love resides in us, in you. Our love for God should permeate every facet of our lives, shaping our decisions, relationships, and aspirations. Although we all know life can be hard in so many ways, 
Our obedience isn't a burdensome duty, but a joyful response to the boundless love and grace God has lavished on us. 1 John 5.3 says it this way, For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. Let us harness the love of God to deepen our devotion to him, allowing his boundless love and grace to bring about our joyful obedience as we mature in him, even amidst life's challenges and temptations. Simply put, let us use the love of God to further grow in our love for God. Next, John continues to explain why we should not love the world. Point two, because it offers empty desires. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. 1 John 2.16 So what does the world have to offer? John points out three categories in our text today. First, the desires of the flesh, or in some translation, the lust of the flesh. This encompasses all cravings and appetites originating from our carnal nature. It extends beyond mere physical desires to encompass any pursuit that seeks gratification apart from God. Whether it's gluttony, sexual indulgence, or any form of self-gratification besides gratification in the Lord. These desires ensnare us in a cycle of emptiness and ultimate destruction. Galatians 5, 19, 21 says, Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you as I warned you before that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. And next, John highlights the desires of the eyes. Our eyes are gateways to our hearts and our minds. Matthew 6, 22, 23 puts it this way, the eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is that darkness? Your eyes absorb images, desires, and aspirations. This lust involves coveting what we see, whether it's material possessions, wealth, or worldly success of others. We can easily become captivated by the allure of things that promise happiness and status. Yet those pursuits lead to disappointment and spiritual emptiness. Proverbs 27.20 warns us that the eyes are never satisfied, always seeking more. And then the last category John mentions is the peril of the pride of life. The insatiable craving for recognition, honor, and self-importance. This insidious desire compels us to prioritize our own glory over the glory of God. Fostering a spirit of arrogance and self-sufficiency that does not rely on him. James 4, 6 reminds us that God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. The world entices us to build our identity on temporary accolades and external validation. Yet such pursuits only yield to fleeting and hollow rewards. These three categories of worldly desires, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life, 
have plagued humanity since the dawn of creation. Going back to Genesis 3, we witness their enticement as Adam and Eve succumb to the temptation presented by the serpent and the forbidden fruit. Genesis 3, 6 says, So when, when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, desires of the flesh, and that it was a delight to the eyes, desires of the eyes, and that the tree was desired to make one wise, pride of life. She took of its fruit and ate, and she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. Despite the enduring presence of these categories of temptations and sins, we find solace in knowing that through Christ, we have been equipped by the only one that can save us from the perils of this world, the Messiah, Jesus Christ. 1 Corinthians 6, 9, 11, Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither the sexual immoral, nor the idolaters, nor the adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you. But you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of God. Through the cross of Christ, believers have been set free from the bondage of worldly desires. Galatians 5.24 says it this way, And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Moreover, God in his faithfulness provides a way of escape from every temptation, ensuring that we are never overwhelmed beyond our capacity to endure it. 1 Corinthians 10.13 no temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. Therefore, while we are called to diligently strive for holiness and obedience, we take comfort in the knowledge that it is God who empowers us, both to desire and to accomplish his good pleasure. One of my favorite verses Philippians 2, 12 through 13 shows the, the paradox and the irony of this whole situation that we have in us as Christians. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, you work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Why? For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. As we navigate the treacherous waters of worldly allure, let us fix our gaze upon Christ, our unfailing source of strength and refuge, who enables us to triumph, to walk in the fullness of his grace and mercy. Then John continues to explain one more powerful reason we should not love the world. Point three, because it will soon pass away. First John 2.17, And the world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. The Apostle John delivers a powerful message about the fleeting nature of our earthly existence and the enduring reality of God's eternal kingdom. John reminds us that the world passes away, a sobering truth that echoes throughout Scripture. Everything we encounter in this fallen world has an expiration date, including you and me here on earth. Whether it's the pursuit of wealth, pleasure, or pride, 
These are like shifting sands. They promise satisfaction, but ultimately they lead to death. Our material wealth, no matter how abundant, will eventually fade. The grandest mansions, the most luxurious cars, the fanciest jewelry, the largest of bank accounts will all pass away. The accolades we receive, the titles we hold, and the recognition we crave from others, they are fleeting. The applause of men fades and our names become mere footnotes in history here on earth. This temporary world and its temporary things will never be able to satisfy our eternal longings. But in stark contrast to this temporary world, God stands as an unchanging and eternal anchor of our souls. He exists beyond the constraints of time, offering everlasting life and fulfillment to those who love him. Jesus himself emphasized this truth in Matthew 6, 19 through 21. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The treasures we lay up in heaven are imperishable, beyond the reach of decay. Investing in the kingdom of God yields eternal rewards for you and for those that you influence for Christ, far surpassing the temporary pleasures of this world. Only in God do we find a solid foundation, an unshakable truth to anchor our souls. This is why we seek to do everything for God as we love him, whether it be great accomplishments or the everyday mundane of our lives. We strive to love and glorify him in all things. Colossians 3, 23 and 24 says, Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. And 1 Corinthians 10, 31 takes it down even more mundane. So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all to the glory of God. Therefore, the main point of John's message is clear and is our main point today. Choose to love God. Choose to follow him and seek after him instead of the world. Our deepest fulfillment lies in our relationship with God and God alone. 1 Peter, 3, 1 Peter 1, 3-5 says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope that through, through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Only God can provide the true living hope and inheritance that is imperishable. Then our message ends with this small line at the end, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. So what is this will of God that John is speaking of? What should you and I do that allows us to abide with him forever? The answer is where we started today. His will for you and me is to love him instead of the world, to seek him above everyone else and above everything the world offers.
to seek him with our heart and soul and strength. In loving God, we find our truest satisfaction and eternal home. In 1 Kings chapter 18, we see the story of Elijah and the prophets of Baal. Elijah stood before the people of Israel and 450 prophets of Baal on Mount Carmel. The nation of Israel was at a crossroads, wavering between two opinions. Will, you, will they choose to follow Yahweh or Baal? Elijah's words to the people of Israel in 1 Kings 18 through 21 echo through the ages. How long will you go limping between two different opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal, then follow him. Elijah's challenge is clear. Make a choice. Either serve the true God or the false gods of this world. There is no middle ground. The people must decide. Elijah stood boldly before the 450 prophets of Baal, proposing a test of divine power. Each party would prepare a sacrifice, but neither would ignite the fire. Instead, they would call upon their respective gods to send down fire from heaven. The deity who answered with fire would be acknowledged as the one true God. The prophets of Baal went first, and they fervently prayed and pleaded with their God for hours and hours, but their efforts were met with silence. Elijah then constructed his altar, meticulously preparing the sacrifice. To eliminate any doubt and to magnify the miraculous, he instructed the people to drench the altar and the offering with 12 jars of water, saturating everything completely. With every detail in place, Elijah, outnumbered 450 to 1, called upon the name of the Lord, the God of Israel. Then comes the decisive moment in the text, 1 Kings 18, 38-39. Then the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt offering and the wood and the stones and the dust and licked up the water that was in the trench. And when all the people saw it, they fell on their faces and said, the Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. The people witnessed the miraculous display of God's power that day. The fire consumed the offering, affirming that God alone is God. Their response is immediate. They fell on their faces and declared the truth. As we contemplate this dramatic moment on Mount Carmel years ago, it's easy to be captivated by the sheer magnitude of divine intervention. Yet, as we return to our lives tomorrow morning, our daily routines, we may find ourselves in the midst of seemingly mundane tasks and ordinary moments. However, let us not overlook the, pro the profound relevance of Elijah's challenge to our lives still today. Just as the people of Israel were confronted with the choice between serving the one true God or the idols of their culture, we too face a similar decision each day. Whether it's in our workplaces, our relationships, or our personal pursuits, we encounter countless opportunities to either honor God with our lives or succumb to the allure of worldly temptations. Consider this today. Who will you serve as you wake up tomorrow and go to work? Who will you serve in your 10th 
20th or 50th year of marriage, who will you serve when you're 20, when you're 50, or when you're 80? The question remains the same, regardless of the grandeur or the simplicity of our circumstances. Elijah's challenge echoes through the ages, penetrating the fabric of our everyday existence. Choose this day whom you will serve. Let us approach each moment with intentionality and conviction, declaring the Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. May our lives reflect a steadfast commitment to loving him wholeheartedly, not with the righteousness of our own, but that which comes through faith in Christ Jesus. If you would like to make a decision to accept Christ and be obedient in baptism today, or if you'd like to discuss becoming a member of East River Park, or simply want to be prayed for, I'll be up here. Other elders will be around the room. We would love to talk to you after the service. Let's pray. Dear God, we thank you, Lord. We thank you that in this world that can be so tempting, so difficult, so empty, that you stand as an eternal pillar of unchanging and unrelenting hope and love. We pray, Lord, that if we aren't a believer in you, that we will come to believe in you and your everlasting love that you provided through your son on the cross. And we pray that if we do know you and we are your children, that you help us. Help us grow in our love for you each and every day. Yes, we love you, but help us in those moments when we let the love of this world drive out our love for you. We seek you and we love you and we praise you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.